0: This is a special edition of Behind the Mic with Audiophile Magazine. I'm Joe Reed. June is Audiobook Month, and it's also the month Audiophile Magazine unveils its new golden voices. These are the narrators we think are consistently the best of the best. Our new golden voices are, drumroll please, Michael Crouch, Sunila Nankani, and Cassandra Campbell. Throughout June, we'll be posting extended interviews with each of them. And we're starting with
1: Michael. Nana Betsy, I'm not sure I'm the person to be doing this. This is so special. She turns down the already quiet radio. It is special. It's the most special thing we could be doing at this moment. Which means I decide who's worthy to be doing it with me. And when I say you are,
0: you are. You just heard an excerpt of Michael Crouch in his award-winning narration of Jeff Zentner's YA novel, Goodbye Days. Michael began narrating audiobooks in 2013 and quickly became known for his facility with voices and accents, gaining a reputation and numerous awards for his work in contemporary fiction, young adult, and middle grade novels. Some 200 audiobooks later, Michael's narration has earned audio awards, multiple earphone awards, best-of-the-year listings from publications like Booklist, School Library Journal, Publishers Weekly, and, of course, Audiophile Magazine. Born and raised in Austin, Texas, Michael grew up loving theater, particularly musical theater, performing throughout middle school and high school, and then majoring in theater in college. His career path seemed set, but then Michael had a realization.
1: By the time I graduated college, I just wasn't that 12-year-old Michael who'd fallen in love with theater anymore. I still loved watching it as a spectator, but I realized that I didn't really love the process of rehearsals and being on stage enough to build a life around it. So I started exploring other ways to... um, channel my creative instincts. And that's when I discovered voiceover.
0: How did you begin in the audiobook business?
1: Well, I had been working in different areas of voiceover at that point, Um, commercials, like corporate videos, some animation, things like that. And I'd heard about audiobooks and I'd I'd listened to them, but I never seriously thought about doing them. But a, a friend of mine, uh, who was in voiceover and and audiobooks at that point, Christina Delane, recommended Paul Rubin's audiobook narration workshop. And I'm like, okay, I'll check this out. It was at that point it was a six week course and it met once a week for six weeks, and that was my introduction to audiobooks. And I found it fascinating and I, I really liked Paul and he taught me a lot and it just so happened that while I was in the middle of this six week course I got an audition from my agents for an audiobook. book uh, it was for for Random House it was a Louis L'Amour Western called The Proving Trail and so this was probably between weeks three and four of the class and I'm like okay well this was an audition I could record from home And I was like, okay, I'm going to apply everything I've been learning in this class to this audition. And um, right after the class ended, I found out I got the book. So it was incredible timing. It, It almost never works out that way. Everything else in my career, I've had to be very, very patient. But this is just one situation where the stars aligned and it was amazing timing.
0: What was it about narrating audiobooks, Michael, that just felt right to you?
1: What I keep coming back to, I think this this work, when it's at its best for me, it takes me back to times when I would read a book in high school or college. And I would read a passage that just really spoke to me, really moved me. And I would have to pause and just soak it in and have this intimate experience with the words in front of me. And when I'm doing this work, I get to have moments like that all the time as an adult and get paid for it. And they get recorded so that I can share them with other people. And that's what I find most special about audiobooks.
0: I want to talk a little bit about process and how you prepare for narrating. I mean, obviously you read the book, but how many times? I mean, can you read it more than once? Do you mark up? Just walk me through that experience.
1: Yeah. So when I first read the book, I will I'll have it on my iPad in a PDF file and I'll use it in this program. I annotate. I'll open it in, in I annotate and I'll have my stylus handy. And as I'm reading, I'm soaking in the story. I'll, I'll make marks that I know will help my eye just kind of flow through the sentence. I don't kind of mark what I'm going to emphasize or anything like that, but I've, I've learned kind of how to minimize the number of retakes I'll inevitably have to do uh, by just making some marks that I know will help my eye. So that's the, technical, the first technical thing I do. And I also bookmark characters as they're introduced and I'll bookmark any pronunciations that I'm going to need to look up. Usually don't do all that as I'm first reading, otherwise I'll never finish the book. Um, <laughs> I save time to do that later. And when I'm finished reading... I'll grab my notepad and do something that my scene study teacher from Ithaca, Arno Selko, taught me to do is to write a brief gut response. So I'll take my notepad pen and just write any thoughts or feelings or personal connections that came up for me as I read the book. Then I'll make a list of the characters in the book. So I have kind of a bird's eye view of who the the players are in this game. And that's the end of what I call phase one. And then before recording, I'll say my goal for the following day is is to do the first hundred pages of the book. So I'll take those first hundred pages and I won't reread them, but I'll skim back through them and make notes that will help me dig deeper into the scene, kind of identify the emotional subtext at the start of the chapter or some kind of active energy that I can dive into. That's also when I'll look up those words that I didn't know the pronunciations of and I'll also take time to make notes about the characters and try to figure out what they sound like. And that's, that's my phase two. And so I'll do all that before I actually step in the booth and record.
0: Well, creating the voices, as you just referred to, I mean... Golly, that that really is something you do so masterfully. And I want to talk a little bit more about that process. And if you don't mind, I'd like to do it through the lens of Lights All Night Long by Lydia Fitzpatrick, which is a brilliant book that you match with a brilliant narration. Tell me a little bit about the books and the characters that you created through your voice.
1: Well, yeah, I I love that one. That's one of my favorites I've ever done. The relationship between the bru- the two brothers Ilya and Vladimir is just so was so fascinating to me. Well, goodness, where to start? So uh, the main character Ilya is an exchange student from Russia. So, first and foremost, we knew that he when at least when he spoke English, that he would have a Russian accent. So, that was a place to start to find his voice. And then contrasting him with his brother Vladimir, who is more outgoing than Ilya, who kind of has more of an edge to his voice and also has the accent. So what I'm getting at is, in the end, the most important thing to figure out the character's voices is is tapping into their personalities. Um, And then you iron out the technical details of what exactly they sound like, any mouth adjustments you want to make, like accent work or... Uh, or adjustments to um, the vocal placement. Hopefully that will come after you've just settled into who they are and what they're like. Because in some cases, I don't have to change my voice at all, as long as I have a good idea of just what this character's personality is, how they walk through the world. I might not need to make any vocal adjustments whatsoever, and it'll be clear who's speaking.
0: But you have such a facility with women's voices. It's eerie, especially with Lights All Night Long. At some point, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't realize this was a multicast. Literally looked at my iPhone to say, no, that's just the same person. That's crazy. (laughs) Um, It was so good. It doesn't sound strained. It doesn't sound like a guy trying to sound like a woman.
1: It, It so embodies the character. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Mama, he was practically dead. Next to him, Mama Jamie speared a hunk of pork and dropped it into a hot skillet. Droplets of grease splashed Ilya's arm and left pinpricks of pain. I know, she said. I just keep thinking about him as a baby. He always wanted to be held. Cuddle, cuddle, cuddle all the time. If I put him down, he stretched his arms up to me. And of course, I was always having to tell him no. No, Mama has to work. No, not now. Mama has to cook. I think of that and then this, and I just don't know. How am I supposed to know? I feel at home voicing uh, female characters. I, you know, from from just from a technical standpoint, my voice naturally sits a little higher, so it's not that huge of a stretch for me to sound more feminine. <laughs> um, but also, I mean, I, I just try to be as sensitive as I can to the text in front of me and the characters, and and just try to write it to the best of my ability. And I'm I'm happy to hear that that succeeds at times.
0: <laughs> oh, my God, it succeeds. It really succeeds wonderfully. How do you keep the voices straight, though, um, for each character in a novel? And I'm particularly thinking about if you're doing a series like The Potion Master, for example.
1: Well, if it's a series, hopefully I've saved my notes from the first book, the previous book, um, so I can refer back to them. Ideally, I'd even have sound clips from the original book to so I can have an auditory reference. But as far as keeping track of the characters, I've, the thing that I find most useful is I, I identify a hook, a line, a single line or two that I associate with that character. Going back to lights all night long like Ilya might be, mama. It was just the just that one starting line, the way he addresses his mom. Just just a sentence or two that I know will help me dive into a full paragraph in that character's voice. Mm hmm. Well, with Ilya, you would say no in such a particular way. No. Yeah. I
0: found myself going around saying that, you know, looking at my dog and saying, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was it was very, you know, it's one word, one syllable, but it did open that character up.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah. Whatever it takes to just to find a hook. I mean, I sometimes I'll make physical adjustments. Like I remember, you know, when I did this one character, I compressed my shoulders a little bit. So like I'll make a note. Knit the brow, tighten up the shoulders, and then you'll find him. Uh, What, whatever it takes, because there's so much material, and sometimes there's so many characters. Whatever shortcuts that will make the process easier for you. I mean, I just try to take what I can, and so you, so to make it work in the limited amount of time we have to do these things.
0: Well, Lights All Night Long is a really complicated book. It takes place in Russia and the United States. So you have different accents going back and forth. And, mm-hmm. and and it's not even just accents. The cultural differences between Russia and the United States is so pointed in that book. And your voice also has to convey those cultural differences as well.
1: Yes. And, you know, with that, I... I just, again, I go back to this. I I just have to be sensitive to the energy that the words on the page are giving me. Like, on some levels, it can be good for me to analyze and intellectualize some of these things that I can pinpoint these differences in my head. But other times, I just need to get out of my head and not think about it and just be as open as possible to what the author has put into the page and channel that with my voice.
0: Yeah, it's such a fine balance between art and also craft.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You do a lot of audiobooks for kids and young adults. Is that a genre that you enjoy?
1: Oh, yeah, I really do. You know, they help me reconnect with the kid in me. And you know, it just reminds me of... Uh, how it felt to experience some of these things, these characters, these kids, these teens are going through, uh, what it was like to experience that for the first time. It can be fascinating to revisit those things. Do you
0: feel freer in some ways creating voices in young adults' work or work for kids? Uh, Freer how? You can just hold forth more the enthusiasm level needs to be higher in
1: some ways? I'm just, I I have no idea. I'm just guessing. Yeah, I think in some ways, yes. Um, There can be more freedom to get a little more animated with the voices. It, it depends on the style of the book. But, you know, there's something really fun about like a, a middle grade fantasy, like a comedic middle grade fantasy where you can just tell it's begging for very lively, animated characterization. So I don't need to worry so much about getting too big because it wants to be big. Um, it's and a
0: little like the ship of the dead that you narrated.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. That was one of those books that was just really refreshing. I, I could just dive into it and have fun. And I remember when the first day we went to the studio, I was like, okay, it's probably going to get really loud. Can we make sure there's a lot of headroom? so that I you know, don't bust through the mic and mess up the sound when I get loud. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 we'll make that work. And so I had this freedom to just go all out, and that was, that was fun. Guests, Agir boomed, and I had never been happier for an interruption. Here is my first micro-brew of the evening. This is a peach, lambic mead that makes a lovely aperitif. I welcome your comments after you try it. His nine daughters oohed and aahed as Aegir hefted the mead cask and carried it around the table, pouring everyone a serving. I think you'll find this has a fruity edge, Aegir said. With just a hint of Magnus Chase, Bloed yelled, surging to her feet and pointing at me. This is Magnus,
0: chase. Another young adult book that you narrated by Becky Albertelli, Simon versus the Homo sapiens agenda. And that's a love story that is also a coming out story. And I can see that as being a really important book for young listeners, as well as a great listen, because it is a wonderful book, and you do a great job with it. But I'm curious how you approach a book like that, which which you know is going to have a lot of resonance for younger listeners. This isn't just a frolic, though parts of it are very, very funny. Mm-hmm. um but you obviously also don't want to sound like, okay, I'm about to narrate an important book
1: yeah with with that book in particular i I just didn't attach that much weight to it. I you know was aware that it it could be meaningful for very meaningful for some listeners, but my job is to just channel what's going on with that character in that moment and, and, and just write it from moment to moment as best I can. Tap into the stakes of what's going on and, and write it. And, I mean, that's where it begins and ends for every book, really.
0: If you narrate a book, Michael, with multiple readers, do you ever speak with them to get a sense of how they're going to approach the work, you know, in a book like Salt to the Sea, it had four different narrators. Did mm-hmm. you have a convo with any of them?
1: On that particular book, no, because we had a very good director to oversee the whole process, uh, each recording session. So like, OK, here's a good example. At the very beginning of each section, I know the beginning of mine as Alfred in Salt to Sea was Fear is a Hunter. And then it was, something is a hunter. Duh, is a, is a, All the lines of the other section started with a, a similar line, similar cadence like that. And at first I came in and I just said, fear is a hunter without a beat. And Tony Huds, the director, was like, okay, all the other narrators, they took a beat after that first word and then kind of landed the the rest of the line. So it would actually be delivered more like, fear is a hunter. And thank God he told me that because then all of our cadence is a line on that opening line. And that can be really powerful. Uh, And there were some characters that overlapped. And, you know, if if I this one character who was older, I was gave it a lighter vibe. And he's like, oh, everyone else made him sound older than that. So with the director, thank goodness, you know, he can make sure we're all aligned. But there are some cases where there's not a director. So I do need to communicate with the other narrators to make sure we're on the same page. Do you ever communicate with the author? Rarely. Well, it, it it depends. Usually I get the vibe that I might be overstepping my bounds if I reach out to the author directly. Usually they appreciate it for, in my experience. But usually the producer is the one who speaks directly with the author and I talk directly to the producer and they're the middleman there. But there are cases where I have last minute questions and the author and I are connected on Twitter and I'm like, hi, you know, I just have this last minute question. I'll DM them and... They're usually so cool and so receptive, and will be like, of course, and they'll jump to my rescue. Given
0: the pandemic, I am assuming that you worked from your home studio for the past year or
1: so. That is correct.
0: Without a director?
1: Uh, it depends. Sometimes a director is Skyped or Zoomed in, ah, depending on the scenario.
0: You were trained in theater, and while you decided that rehearsals and being on stage were not exactly what you wanted to devote your life to, there had to have been something about the collaborative nature of theater that drew you to it, because theater is nothing if not collaborative. And then here you are working on your own or with a director, but it's basically you and a microphone. And I'd love you to just talk about the difference between doing it on your own and doing it in the company of others being in a play where you, you get to work off somebody else's energy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I do really value being able to feed off of someone else's energy, e- even in this work, This the same way I might on stage. But that person doesn't necessarily have to be in the scene with me. W- what I mean is that like I could be doing a whole solo section of narration and just having an engineer in the room to bounce off of, just brings me to life and, and helps me to dive into the work all the more and even better when there's a director and an engineer in the room. Uh, they may not be heard on the track, but we're interacting. And good God, that is something I miss so much uh, when I am totally solo working from home. And even when a director is Skyped in, just in the headphones listening in, it's good. You're still interacting, but it, it, it's, it's not the same. Another thing, uh, comparing audiobook work to theater, something I've that's been on my mind a, a lot lately, actually, is that in audiobooks there's no rehearsal process, like there would be in theater, and I miss that sometimes because the, the there becomes this pressure to get everything right on the first take. At least I know I put that pressure on myself, and I slap myself in the face when I have to do multiple takes on a line or a section. But I I constantly need to remind myself to cut myself some slack because there's no rehearsal process. Like when you you watch a film, they rehearse that. And, you know, the take that you're witnessing as an audience member might be take 110. But you're experiencing it for the the first time, not knowing that the actors had to work their way into it. So I, I kind of need to refresh my perspective every now and then to remind myself that, we're all human including myself.
0: <laughs> I hear that. Yeah, it's very impressive actually. And and to keep the momentum going throughout a book that's yeah. really hard because it's not just the characterization, there's also the narrative drive and that is a force unto itself that just has to keep moving forward.
1: Yeah, the the amount of stamina you need to to make your way through an audiobook is it, it's intense. It, uh, it can be very draining. I mean, there are some times where I can ride that energy and it's, it's invigorating, but that doesn't always happen. I mean, sometimes it is just exhausting. And yeah, I mean, that's just the truth of it. Uh, you kind of like, you get used to, you know, it's all relative. Like, oh, a 10-hour book, an eight-hour book, a seven-hour book. Oh, I'm on a project where I only have one hour of material. It's nothing. But then you take a second and like, oh, a full hour of material is a lot. That's the length of some movies. Most days, though, it's by the end of the day, my voice is fine. It's it's my brain that's exhausted.
0: <laughs> Audiobook narration is definitely not for the faint of heart. No. Well, speaking of heart, you also narrated the wonderful book, The Great Believers, by Rebecca Mackay. And that's a novel with two timelines, one in the 80s and one in 2015. And the book takes us through the AIDS crisis and its devastating impact on gay men and the people who love them. And it's so emotional to listen to. I can't imagine what it was like to actually narrate. And I wonder how you prepare for something like that.
1: Ah, yeah. Oh, my God. The Great Believers is amazing. I, I remember when I, I first read it, there was this one scene that just gutted me, and I, I, it killed me. And so I, I, I wondered how it would affect me in the studio. And I was surprised, actually, by the part of me that just needed to stay focused and engaged and not get too emotional. That's the side of me that took over in the studio. And I still felt connected to the scene, but there was also this, this, this composure That I hadn't anticipated when I went through that particular scene that that was not present when I first read the book.
0: You know, it's it's interesting because in that book, especially when you're narrating the sections in the 1980s, Rebecca writes it in a way that the crisis is unfolding. And so as the narrator, you also have to bring that immediacy and that sense of the present to um, a time where we all know how it's ending, it's mm-hmm. not good. The writing is there, but you have to be there too with your voice.
1: Yes. What you're saying is very true, but I mean, that's the way I like to approach every book, is if there's everything is happening right now in the moment. There are exceptions to that, but um, the way I see it, and this comes from my training with Paul Rubin from the very beginning, the, the more I can stay in the moment and discover things as I go, navigate my way through it in the now the more present the listener will be, hopefully. And so really, I mean, with that book, I I didn't do anything different than what I try to do for all the books is just stay present. Do you have books
0: that stay with you? You had mentioned Lights All Night Long, and I imagine this one too. Are there others?
1: Oh, yeah. Another one that that really haunted me was this book called Oliver Loving by Stephen Merrill Block. I'm really drawn to complicate stories of complicated families and that is a story of a family in crisis and all the different players father son brother and just the way they navigate through through their grief it really moved me your father an after hours painter and teacher of art classes at bliss township school had founded the school's young astronomers club and more or less forced your brother and you to serve as its president and vice president But the truth was that you shared with Pa just an artist's dreamy interest in astronomy. The constellations were mostly twinkling metaphors to you both. But that night, in his Merlot-warmed way, your father was prophetic. Your own journey into another universe, the universe where your family lost you, began very subtly. Do you listen to audiobooks? Do you have time? I, I do. Because one thing I don't have time to do is read outside of work. When I'm not reading a book that I'm going to record, the last thing I want to do is sit on my couch and read. <laughs> so I'll uh, take in the way I take in other books these days is by listening to them. So I do listen to audiobooks. And it's, a, you know, it's handy that I can take in a book while multitasking, while you know, going for a walk or doing the dishes, all these other things life things that I do outside of work.
0: Yeah, you know, audiobooks really are the largest growing sector of the publishing industry. I think that's one reason why. What do you think could be some of the other reasons why audiences are drawn to
1: audiobooks? I think one thing that draws me to audiobooks is just is the intimacy of them, that somebody could whisper in their little booth, and it and it gets recorded and and transferred to my ears and i can share that intimate moment with them days hours years later that's something that i find fascinating fascinating as a listener as well as a performer
0: this is going to be a little bit of a hard question you've become very successful very quickly you just began in 2013 and here you are many awards later being named a golden voice by audiophile magazine from a very dispassionate point of view why do you think you've succeeded as much as you have in this in this business in this art
1: oh (laughs) that's a good question god it's hard for me to pinpoint something that that i do that other people don't do i mean i started out in the right place at the right time that i was taking a class and I got an opportunity to audition for a book that I was the right type for. And I ended up getting that first book. Now, it wasn't smooth sailing. You know, I wasn't just showered with books from there on out. But it started with good timing. I mean, I have got a strong work ethic. I've been very dedicated to my craft and, and this work uh, since I've gotten into the business, since I took that class. And I, I think that also has worked to my advantage that I don't just dabble in this.
0: What does being named a golden voice mean for you? Congratulations.
1: Oh, yes. Thank you so much. It's so cool. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's really wonderful to have my work be recognized, to be in the company of some amazing, amazing colleagues and uh, people whose work I listened to before I even started doing audiobooks, who I greatly respect. You know, there are days when I feel brilliant and then there are just as many days when I feel like I still have no idea what I'm doing. So it is so amazing to have something like this to lean on on those bad days.
0: Michael, it is so well deserved. Truly. You have given me hours of pleasure. And so I thank you. Well, I thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. That's one of Audiophile Magazine's new Golden Voices, Michael Crouch. This has been an extended edition of Behind the Mic. Next week, an interview with Golden Voice Sunila Nankani. I'm Joe Reed. Good listening.